Hello and welcome to Horrible Friends Condensed Spoop. A smaller, slightly different than our typical show. And starting off, I'm Chris. I'm Mike. And once again, we are joined by our guest from last episode, Mr. Colin Swayze. How you doing? So, so this is going to be similar to the last uh, condensed spoop we did. We did we covered uh, Fear Street Part 1, 1994. And this week we're going to jump into Fear Street Part 2, which, same director. Uh, we have a different cast because it takes place during a different time period, but it's still more or less kind of the same story. So uh, I'm just going to kind of throw it to you guys. You know, where do you want to start off? I think we should... Uh just go over overall the characters first so that people know who we're talking about. Um, yeah, go right ahead. So you have Ziggy and Cindy, who are sisters. Um, Ziggy is her nickname. We don't find out till later that her name is Christine. Then you have um, Tommy, who is Cindy's boyfriend. Uh, you have their friends, who are uh, Gary and Joan. Um, Joan is a bit of a pothead. Uh, Gary is just, he's that doofy friend. Uh, then you have Nick Good, who turns out to be Sheriff Good from part one. Um, you have his brother, who we don't get to talk to really much, but he's the current, one of the current police officers. Um, then you have Kurt. Uh, who else do we have? We have Nurse Lane, who is, uh, Ruby Lane's mom, um, who is one of our killers. So those are like majority of the people that we end up talking about um, as far as this movie goes. And then we have our old characters that pop up um, from the other one, like Dina and Josh that pop up towards the end and Sam. But as far as new characters, those are the majority of our new characters. Oh, and Sheila, who is... uh, Ziki's bully. Yeah. Uh, so let's just kind of dive right in. Uh, so yeah, this the story in this one takes place in 1978, and where as we said, uh, part one 1994 was all like the classic 90s horror tropes, like Scream and everything like that. This one was a hundred percent like Friday the Thirteenth, pretty much, and I love that so much. Yeah, it did give you that like. 70s like camp feel where all the counselors are kind of like dirtbags who are only interested in like sex and drugs and not interested in being any kind of authority figure and they just let people like run wild doing whatever they want oh yeah and especially since we did at one point where you see two of the counselors like boning and i'm just like oh that's fornication and a summer camp and a horror movie they're gonna die I i forgot to mention them that's alice and uh what, the, what was the guy's name it was allison arnie allison arnie alice was a childhood friend of cindy's and arnie is uh he's a man with a hammer and a plan that's true but uh, does he eat people but does he eat people i think army hammer got a bad rap I don't think he was actually out there like trying to eat people. I don't think he was trying trying to like eat women out there. I just think that was his kink, and it's how he got off. And if that's his thing, he's not hurting anybody. So good for him. Well, we have video proof that Arnie isn't trying to eat anything. He's just trying to smash. 
you're trying to smash. <laughs> um, but uh, like the fact that we're the last movie like hit us in the face with the '90s. Like there were parts of this. Uh, uh, again, I mentioned the last episode. Like I love this movie. I think the most out of the trilogy, but also very similar, especially it's like soundtrack wise. Like I will say, yeah, great soundtrack. But I kind of still felt the same. Like, hey, have you noticed what? Have you figured out what you know time period we're in because of the music we're playing? Did have, you get it? Have you noticed this in the '70s? Here's a uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Wait, you you didn't know it was the '70s? Let's just let's play uh, Cherry Bomb. I will uh, say uh, Cherry Bomb slaps. Uh, did you see that movie, The Runaways? <laughs> that was, I mean, The Runaways was uh, basically a story of that band with uh, Kristen Stewart and what's her name, Dakota Fanning. And it was a good movie. I never saw that actually. I was if you like Cherry Bomb, definitely watch a movie. I mean, that definitely wasn't the only song that we had to uh, hear to tell us that it was the seventies either. Uh, Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie. Oh yeah. Um, and then a song that I haven't listened to uh, since I finished watching my last show, and it made me it made me hurt in my chest. Um, Carry on my wayward son by Kansas. Uh, mm. Last time I listened to that, Dean died. So. Uh, i'm good yeah didn't need to hear that again um uh so yeah uh like we said before like this takes place almost uh at least like the story-wise kind of takes place after 1994 the fact that you know we had dina and josh meet up with c berman and and this movie is essentially like c berman telling her story like how uh in the first one they said how Seaburn was the one person that had basically encountered uh the witch seraphir and died and came back to life and all we knew is that it was at like a camp during the 70s and this is mainly what that is basically it was like c barman was like hey uh josh and dina this is what happened to me back in the 70s did the wayne's were like i still i like the way they did that though where they were like you know, she starts telling them like, you know, like, well, in order for me to tell you how I, how I got through it and what I had to do, I have to tell you what happened. And then she just starts telling the story and it goes right into the movie. Um, and what you don't realize until later is that C. Berman is actually Ziggy. And it goes right into her basically telling like how she was just picked on and abused by Sheila. And like, it, I, I thought it was a, a nice transition and I enjoyed it. Um, and then it kind of really set up the movie for me, especially because, um, the girl that plays Ziggy, um, I can't remember her name at this exact, oh, Sadie Sink. Um, I, I love her as an actress. She played Mad Max in Stranger Things. So we had another Stranger Things character show up and I loved her character in this movie as well. She had that very much like, you know, I, I don't care what people think of me. Everybody's going to judge me anyway, so I'm going to do what I want. But at the same time, everybody is just ridiculing her and bullying her, and she's just trying to live her own life. So I really enjoyed her character, and watching her grow through this movie was very interesting. And she could have like just told Josh and Dina, like, a bunch of bad shit happened at the camp, and here we are. She didn't have to go through a whole backstory. You ever get into a conversation with somebody... Where they give you a whole spiel and a whole like long winded 
discussion about things that happen to them when you don't need to hear it. Let me tell you about a time when I... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I also like, but like with stuff like this, like movies like this, like I get it. Like it's, it's someone telling a tale and like, you know, you get to see everything that happened. But the one thing that always makes me laugh and I always think about like, so this is older Ziggy telling the tale of what happened. And I'm just like, well, how does she know about what happened to Cindy and Alice underground? How does she know about this happened? Is she just guessing? All right, let me tell you about the time that my sister was getting railed by her boyfriend in a porta potty stall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like that part, like uh, Ziggy's boyfriend, uh, Tommy's just like, "Hey, so I know we're, uh, I know we're basically cleaning up uh, the sh- the shitholes right now, uh, but I'm feeling kind of horny." Do you blame him? Cindy was fine. I'm just saying, like, my man was like, yo, let me just let me just get a little piece of it. She's like, hey, I've told you about that. And he's like, yeah, I know, but I kind of like it. Like, hit me again. I like it. Like, <laughs> now step on me. Now spit step on me. On my genitals. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, God. Um, yeah, uh, I... The fact that this basically felt like to me as if I was watching Friday the 13th and how um, like it's basically just Jason kind of killing all of the counselors and the kids. Um, this is where we kind of get a little bit more information about Sarah fear. And again, this, this whole camp is like comprised of shady siders and sunny veils. And it's like this whole big, like, you know, like a lot of summer camps have like, you know, summer games where it's, different parts of the camp against each other and that's kind of what like the the premise of this is like what they're trying to do uh, the color war like when i went oh, yeah, i went it. to like camp when i was a kid and uh, they always had color war at the end of the week because you want it what you want to do at a camp is pit a bunch of children against another bunch of children because it builds competition and it builds structure and it builds a good backbone for these children going into the future of that you're gonna lose Unless you try hard. <laughs> You're gonna lose. The only thing that came out of this color guard was a lot of people died. And poor, poor little fat Jeremy that just wanted fat to guard. Jeremy, no! Poor little fat Jeremy. He's like, I just want to guard this jail and be a good jailer and do my best. And like, they threw some eggs at him. He's like, come on, guys, that's not cool. And then they ran away. And then Tommy just shows up when he's all possessed. And he's like, hey, what's up? And I got super, like... Oh no, Mr. Skywalker, they're invading. What are we going to do? I just got like, I was like, no, no, flashbacks, bad. (laughs) Run, Jeremy, run. It's the slang of the younglings all over again. (laughs) I was so upset that, like, I was, me and Jackie were watching. I'm just like, oh no, don't tell me he's going to kill Jeremy. Poor little innocent Jeremy. I mean, I was grateful that it was at least like an off screen kill, but I was still very heartbroken about it. Yeah, if you notice, none of the kids that died in this movie, besides like Ziggy, um, actually died off camera. Like the really young kids, they all died off camera. Jeremy, uh, the four other Shady Siders that were in the Sunnyvale jail, when he just walks mm-hmm. in and they run, and then all you hear is, oh, fantastic use of audio in that scene. Fantastic use. It was very crunchy. Oh, yeah. It was squishy. <laughs> it sounded wet. <laughs> it was yeah, the, the the foley sounds done for this movie top notch oh, so I think too, like, once Tommy gets possessed and he goes on his killing spree he was like it wasn't like 
okay, maybe he's still good, but they know he was like brutally axing people to death the whole movie. He's like, let me ask you a question, and he just like <laughs> chops him up. I think one thing we we uh, were you know having our moment of like yelling at the TV is like you know they they find the uh, I guess it was like the journal of like Seraphir and like they're trying to figure out like where her body is so they can try and like end the curse that they you know that they kind of find out or like what they believe is causing all this and like I think at this point like what they like already like hit Tommy like several times like stabbed him or whatever and we're just like yelling like has no one heard of the double tap rule. Double tap, damn it! Double tap. Yeah, with this this movie, um, like first off, we went forty minutes basically without anybody dying. Um, we had Nurse Lane try to kill Tommy because she's like, "I found out, you know, all about Seraphir's, and I found the little altar room, and I saw your name. I can't save you, so I'm just gonna kill you, so that you don't turn into a psychopathic killer like my daughter." And it's like, okay, cool. But then she doesn't kill him. She's unsuccessful. And he hits his head. So, like, they keep playing it off like, oh, no, he hit his head. He's fine. Like, no, homeboy's going crazy. Slowly but surely, like, he's hearing people whisper and stuff. And then we have our first death at 44 minutes and one second. And it's Tommy completely destroying Arnie's head. And I love the detail of it getting stuck in his head for a second and then him going and it just oh it was it was very well done and i was like yes and it did not stop from there it was like that was the train leaving the station and then every other kill after this was exactly that and i loved it i definitely felt bad for the uh, comic relief guy um i can't remember his name but I, he was in the uh the last uh halloween uh like the 2018 halloween movie um he was like the the redhead uh curly haired guy are you talking about gary yeah, scary. The guy that died in the bathroom. Yeah, got his head yeah, cut yeah, off yeah. and just like went down the shitter. And I'm like, oh, Gary, no. Good, good guy, Gary. Good guy, Gary. So, who is like your most? Who would death hurt you the most? You mean Jeremy. besides Jeremy? <laughs> besides <laughs> like, Jeremy is given. I fell for Jeremy because all Jeremy was trying to do was like play his role in the color war and guard his prisoners. And even like when he was guarding these kids, he was still saying. You know, Jeremy, you kind of suck. And he was like, oh, no, I'm just trying to like card you guys. Can I get you some like some, like sand, some sandwiches or some like juice? Yeah. And like, no, fuck you, Jeremy. We hate you. And he's like, oh, I'm just trying to do my job. And, you, know. <laughs> you guys want a juice box? You uh, you okay? Fuck you, Jeremy. Oh, okay, that's cool too. And no, even, even when Tommy came in, he's like, hey, he's like, hey, hey Tommy. Because he kind of like looked up to Tommy because Tommy was like the cool counselor. He's like, you know, I'm doing my job good, right? Because Tommy was like the counselor for his team, and then Chom- Tommy just like chops him up. Well, it, a lot of that has to do with how he approaches Jeremy in the beginning. Because he goes up to him and he's like, "Jeremy, you have one of, if not the most important jobs today." And Jeremy's eyes lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. He's like, "I'm important." He's like, "You're going to be the jailer, Jeremy. You have to make sure that they don't leave once we catch them." No, no, he's no like, I told me I'm important before Tommy. Yeah, he's like, I'll do my best. I'll do my best, Tommy. I promise. And then he comes over and he's like, hi, Mr. Tommy. Am I doing okay? And that's why I had the Anakin flashbacks. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to hit this kid with the young one slayer. Oh, it's going to be bad. Um, I guess to answer your question, I'm trying to think of like what other like death I heard is not nowhere near as much as Jeremy because, God, I'm still reeling from that. But I, I guess maybe 
I, I would say definitely probably Cindy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I'm going to go with Cindy because I liked Cindy's arc from being like the goody two shoes, Miss Perfect uh, to turning into she was like, you know, like accepting that, you know, that's not who she is and that she was putting on this facade because she didn't want to accept what was going on in her life. So she overcame that and was like, you know what? I'm not that kind of person. This is the person I am. And she made up with everybody. She made up with her sister. They they were, you know, on the same page again. She makes up with Alice and they're friends again before the end of the movie. And then, like, everything just comes crashing down around her. Like, she lost her boyfriend. She loved him. She loses her best friend. And then she feels like she's going to lose her sister. Not to mention, homie split her sternum <laughs> with an axe. Yo, like, he was... A- <laughs> At one point, I, I think I just yelled at the TV. I was like, she's dead, dude. Like, just axe in the chest, axe in the chest, axe in the chest, just over and over and over and over. My man was like, I'm going to split this log. And then the axe got stuck. And he's like, what if I do it again? <laughs> well, Cindy, do it again? Cindy was just trying to, like, shake her shady side trash background. And that's why she was like, the goody two shoes and saying, Oh, well we can't, you, you're doing drugs. And she was trying to like be the goody two. She was trying to fit in with the Sunnyvale crowd. And she like abandoned her sister. She abandoned her friend. And like, she does have a good character. By the end, she's like, you're my sister and I love you. And she did have the most brutal death because just as her and Ziggy like reconcile and make up and like, we're going to be my best of friends and sisters again. She sacrifices herself to save Ziggy. Yeah, but it's, it's her character was just kind of like, I'm not going to um, accept what's going on in my life and acknowledge it. And I'm not going to help my sister. And then she's like, I'm not going to accept that I'm a shady cider. And we're just going to pretend like I'm Miss perfect. And then, you know, she turns into a good person besides that. Um, Gary's death, I, I caught me off guard. Like, I knew he was going to die because he's like a side character. But my man's like, he's like, hey, Tommy, what are you doing? What you got that axe for? And then, and then it's just, goodbye, head. I would say, I think the, uh, well, I'm sure Mike also, I mean, you both know this about me, but the, the, I think probably the most, the one part of the movie that I was just like, oh, oh, oh God, no, was when, uh, Alice and Cindy were running through, you know, that underground cave setting. And as Alice was just running, I'm like, oh, I know it's about to happen. I know it's going to happen. She's frantically oh. running in a small enclosed area. And of course, she like goes down one of the legends, snap ankle. And I just went, oh, no, God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I call bullshit on that because like when you first saw like, ugh, just think about it, just big, I just want to vomit. Uh, like her ankle snapped. And it's basically just like, all right, let's just take these two popsicle sticks. Then we've got some loose string and boom, you can walk and kind of, you know, skip a bit for at least the rest of the time. Her boat came out so far, you could see the fucking marrow and this bitch just pops it back in, wraps some fucking, like puts like a wrap around it. Where'd she get it from? Who the fuck knows? And then she's able to walk on it. Like I felt the same way. I was like, that's bullshit. And then she falls later and hurts it again and then continues to walk. I was like, okay, double bullshit. (laughs) Like, if you had fallen from that height with that injury, it would have came back out. (laughs) 
Yeah, I get like, you know, in some circumstances, like that rush of adrenaline can like help you get through like some crazy shit. Adrenaline only lasts for so long, man. Like you're not running around on basically a detached foot just going off a little bit of adrenaline. The only thing I'm going to say is maybe she was high and it maybe suppressed some of the pain, but there's no way. There's no way it would suppress the pain enough for her to be able to hold a conversation while she's wrapping her leg. There's no way. There's a good chance that Alice was high because Alice is like the Kate stand-in for this movie. Her and her boyfriend <laughs> are like stand-in for Kate and Simon where they just burn out and they're just fun to be around. Yeah. I like the like Alice's whole thing with Sydney was just like, I've had this grudge against you since we were 12. And fuck you for what happened when we were 12 and little shits. I mean, we we learn a lot about Alice. We learn that like she went through a lot when she was growing up, and then um, while she was going through all that stuff, Cindy betrayed her. Oh yeah, no, like I I loved Alice as a character. Like, I mean, in the beginning, I was just like, oh, okay, well, here's you know the like it's supposed to be like the um, like a better word, like you know, she's the bitchy character. But like much like Cindy, like her arc was great, and we learned, as you're saying, like we learned so much about her and what happened between them as their kids. And I really fell for her at that point. Yeah. Especially when she starts talking about like how um, her mom had a steal so they could have food and stuff. And then she's like, she's basically, she was the symbol of depression for this movie. She's like, I cut myself. And it was like, ah, that's a, that's a sensitive topic. We're just going to bring that out on the open. But it, she was ex- exposing that to Cindy because she finally started to trust Cindy again. So it was nice to see her go from, I don't fucking like you. You were a snitch. Go get me some drugs. Maybe I'll help you clean to, um, I think I can trust you again. Look what I did to myself. My life is shit. You know, like, I'm sorry. It was, it was good. I liked it. Yeah. And, uh, like also like during a lot of this part, um, you know, we've got all the, the dynamic between Cindy and Alice for, like them being together for majority of the movie while Tommy's, you know, just killing everyone violently with an axe. Like during all that, we got like, you know, some side story with Ziggy and uh, the young future uh, officer, good and sexy. And at first I was like, really like, hmm, I wear this. Like, I mean, I was enjoying that story. Cause it was just like, here's Ziggy who just feels like she's bullied all the time and just like, you know, basically hates everyone. And here's, you know, Basically, you know, one of the count like kind of counselors that's, you know, the the attractive guy, and it's just like, oh, well, this guy's you know not gonna like someone like me who's you know into like reading, uh, you know, books, and you know, I'm I'm the nerd, and I you know, and I really liked how their dynamic was and how they were kind of becoming this you know couple uh, during all this, even though like I'll be notes to them horrendous and horrific murder is happening you know not too far away but they're having a great time right um i thoroughly enjoyed that like they almost make you feel like nick is going to be this um really good character for ziggy like they're going to be in a relationship he talks about how like you know his dad's like you're going to follow in my footsteps you're my legacy you know you're going to be our our family's like 
Um, I don't remember what he exactly says, but he's basically like, you're going to be our family's like saving grace. And he's like, I'm the heir apparent. I don't want to be this guy. I just want to read books and do weird stuff and hang out with the weird girl. And I thought that that was all like very nice. And then you see like, you know, at the end of the movie, he's just like, fuck it. I want what I want. Yeah, because it was the whole thing where, you know, she... Ziggy believes in, you know, the curse of Seraphir and, you know, a lot of the time that they're together during this movie, she's trying to get him to like, you know, keeps asking, like, you believe me, right? Like that this is a a real thing. And he's, you know, he's skeptical at first, but then he's like, you know, I, I think I do believe you. And then after everything they saw and just seeing Tommy go nuts, like, you know, it's clear that he kind of does believe it. But when it comes down to it and he's asked by, uh, the cop at the time, the cop who's there after everything goes down. And I don't know if you guys also caught, but the cop that's there questioning him is the cop. That's his, you know, like old disgruntled partner from the first part that got his gun easily stolen from Dina. Yeah. It's also like his brother or something like that. Like it's his older brother. Mm. Um, and cause he makes some comment like, yeah, when you follow dad's footsteps, or like I don't know if it's his brother. It maybe. I think. Well, I think there was. I think there was like two cops there. Like one was his brother. One was like the younger. Uh, you know. Uh, got. Uh, like the younger version of the guy from the uh, first part. Okay. One of them makes a comment though, and it's like, yeah, when later in life, when you're my boss, don't go too hard on me, and like I don't. I I thought that it was that one, but I could be wrong. Maybe mm, yeah, like at that point, like he's questioning like, what he thinks going on here, or like what happened and. You know, Ziggy's kind of like looking at him from like the stretcher, like, no, yeah, you like, you, I told you what's happening. He's like, this curse. And he's just like, a kid just went crazy. And that's all it was. Yep. Just your typical story. Kid goes crazy, murders about a dozen people. And now you have your lone survivor. Yep. Typical Sunday at a summer camp. Yeah. You know. Also, something that's very. Uh, Jason-esque 80s horror movie thing that happens in this, which I loved, I enjoyed very much, was um, Kurt and Joan. Um, Joan was the girl that was hanging out with them in the cafeteria. Um, the one that just, like, just likes to get high all the time. And Kurt is Captain Douche of the uh, Sunny Valers. Um, they're getting it on in like his room or something, and then they're done and he goes and takes a shower. She's like, oh, I'm going to roll up a joint. He's like, put it out. Don't do that here. And she's like, it's fine. It's fine. He's like, I said, put it out. She's like, all right. She puts it out. And then, like, hears a noise, goes, investigates the noise, immediately gets murdered by Tommy. And then he just leaves. He lets he lets Kurt finish showering. He's like, yeah, you can wash that smell off. That's fine. I'll just kill her. I'll, I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, again, uh, I don't know if we did mention before, but uh, Nick that is hanging out with Ziggy is uh, the young officer, good and sexy from part one. Uh, you know, actually kind of looking at him at this one as, and then you see him in like, you know, 1994. Boy, being a sheriff must be hard on you on the, you know, the face and the body. You see the stress that just dragged his face down. He's just, uh. <laughs> he's a Sunnyvale cop though like what kind of problems does Sunnyvale deal with like a stray dog or it's I guess Sunnyvale. I mean enough that he I mean yeah it's, he's a Sunnyvale cop uh, he, I think he's like the sheriff yeah of, he's a like, sheriff Yeah, so he's the sheriff of like the whole 
like area. Like uh, I'd love, uh, I'd want to see side in Sunnyvale. I'd want to see what a shady side cop looks like, having to do with like murders every well, other day. It's it's one of those things where their towns are so the town is so small that they don't have like a local police force. They have a sheriff's department, um, and the sheriff's department monitors for both cities. It's one of those kind of situations. Ah. Uh, so before we uh, get towards our uh, our little spoop meter, um, you guys have anything else you want to bring up or mention about the movie? Yes, I do. So Sheila, Ziggy's bully. Um, the entire time she's in this movie, she is like queen bitch. Like you are made to hate this girl. You want to hate her. Uh, she tries to hang her. She burns her. Um, they spray paint all over her walls, her walls in her room. Like they put like, she was like a, um, sunny side, witch bitch or like shady side, witch bitch. And like all this fucking terrible shit on her wall. Um, she's like, I'm going to get revenge. And this is like how her and Nick kind of have their, they start their bonding is because he helps her get the revenge. And they're like, Oh, she's like, I'm going to carry her. And he's like, Oh yeah, Stephen King. Like I get it. Uh, I like that book. And she's like, you've read Stephen King. And he's like, yeah, obviously Stephen King's great. It's like, it's my second favorite book after Salem's lot. And she's like, Oh my God, he's a nerd. So like, that's how like they bond. But then, when she finally gets her revenge on her, um, it comes back to bite her in the ass because then she has to go save her from the bathroom because she mm-hmm. locks her in the bathroom and drops shit on her and has to go save her. And then she looks like, I don't want to listen to anything you say. I'm just going to fight her. And she's fighting her like you would imagine a bitch would fight that's never fought before. She's like throwing her and like pulling on her hair and all this. Sh- and then eventually like Ziggy's just like, just listen to me. And she won't listen. And eventually she's like, you know what? And she just punches her in the face. One fucking hit. She's done taking a nap. And then Gary shows up and he's like, what the hell happened? And <laughs> that part made me chuckle so bad because she just knocks her the fuck out. And then right afterwards, he's just like, why? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty great. Just a couple things that, I, that stood out to me that I liked about this movie. Was it did flesh out part one more with the the whole backstory about why this town is cursed, why Shady Side's cursed, why Sunnyvale always has like the good things happen to it, like how Sarah fear they didn't get rid of her because they chopped her hand off, and her hand was like buried separate from her body. So by like burning her body, or just trying to get rid of her body. They didn't get rid of the curse. And it's just like the showdown with Tommy at the end when, like we said, where Cindy sacrificed herself for her sister. Because this whole, like, a lot of the things I saw about this movie was people were assuming that Ziggy died and Cindy lived. And that's why like, they go see C. Berman for Cindy Berman. And then it kind of surprises you. It's like, oh no, like Cindy died and. Ziggy was the one that lived. Oh, I forget what her real name was. Was it? I think it was Catherine. Christine. Christine. Christine yeah. So Christine was C. Berman, like the one we were known as Ziggy, and she lived. So that was kind of interesting to see too. And she had this connection to uh, Officer Good or Sheriff Good that she built that friendship with at the camp. And then you see how he kind of like betrayed her at the end when she was like, yeah, 
Tommy, you saw everything that went on. You should like tell not Tommy, uh, Nick. Like Nick, you saw everything that went on. You should like tell everybody that I'm not like crazy. He's like, nah, nah, she's crazy. I want to be a sheriff one day. Yeah, now just another crazy shady side or killing people. Yeah, it was the way that they took like the information about the whole lore of the story. Because in the first one, all we knew was the information that Josh had gathered and then the nursery rhyme they had. You guys remember the creepy nursery rhyme? Um, no, actually, no, I don't. Yeah, I had I put it in the notes here, but there was a like a creepy nursery rhyme they had, and that was their source of information. It was uh, before the witch's final breath, she found a way to cheat her death by cutting off her cursed hand. She kept her grip upon our land. She reaches from beyond the grave to make good men her wicked slaves. She'll take your blood. She'll take your head. She'll follow you until you're dead. And like that was our only information. Besides that and what Josh had gathered about uh, Sarah Fierce. But then in this one, Nurse Lane did all this research because of what happened to her daughter and found like the ritual site and like all this other stuff. And then they go find it. And then they found that disgusting flesh mound. It, oh, uh, oh, you mean the, the, the goop goop? The, the, the gross beating heart of flesh. Yeah, whatever the fuck that was. It was disgusting. But like they... They find all that and they find like the wall with all the killers names. So it the way that they tied it in to give us more information about the story, I thought was very well done. Yeah, I thought the wall of killers was a good reveal. But you see like all the names on the the stone that are etched in the stone, uh, all these sunny siders, um, all the shady siders that allegedly like went psycho out of nowhere and went on the killing sprees. And we do find out in the third part, and we'll go over that in the third part of why these people went crazy, but just to see how they got chosen was cool. All right. Well, uh, that's all we've got right now. Uh, which one of you guys has a, a spook meter for this one? Uh, so to be honest with you, I had a spook meter for the first one, but I don't have one for this one. Um, unless you want to do something to do with the dead kids. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, Mike, you have any ideas? Uh, let me see if I can channel my inner Dan. <laughs> channel your inner Dan. Meter. We so. could do, um, there's five children that died off screen. So, How many kids would you kill off screen for this movie? So there's five children that were killed off screen. Oh, thanks, Mike. And uh, this movie was set in uh, 1978. So, And there was about, I don't know, 10, 11 songs from 1978. So from one to, I don't know, 37. What would you give this movie on a spoopy wise meter? So, God, I I love your scale. It's fantastic. One to 37. Okay. Um, so I I personally loved this movie. I thought the gore was fantastic. It took us 40 minutes to get there, but I wasn't bored in the first 40 minutes. It was all very entertaining. Um, it was backstory. There was funny parts. There was the, like, we got a little action and violence when Nurse Lane tried to kill Tommy. Um, but it also made us curious, like, why did she just snap? Is she going to be the next killer? Nope. She was just trying to stop more murders. But um, the gore was really good. I... There wasn't like a single kill in this that I was not happy with. 
except for like um alice's kill she her kill was kind of a little lackluster because he only like got to hit her like once um before they got her off of her and then she bled out but every other kill he like brutally murders people and it was just um very refreshing compared to the first one because there was some brutal kills in the first one but this one was just like as soon as it started it did not stop so um spooky wise uh i'll give it like a 20 um 20 out of 37 the 25 25 out of 37 um story wise i'm gonna give it like probably a 30 i really like the second one i think it's fun um, I love that it feels like an 80s horror film and it's got like a Jason Friday the 13th kind of feel to it. I really enjoy that. And I love Tommy's just breakdown into Psycho Killer from going from I'm okay to I'm not okay, I don't feel good to I'm a crazy Psycho Killer to getting murdered and then turned into the burlap sack killer and i love the way that they gave him the mask too it was them trying to defend themselves and he just kept it on because he doesn't care i thought it was really cool solid touch yeah i'm pretty much on the same page i did like i had forgotten about you just brought up about how they did like because like in the first movie you see the burlap sack like mask killer which turns out to be tommy and the whole movie i was waiting to see like how does he get this sack and when they do show it at the end, I did like that. Super- you were just waiting for them to show Tommy Sack. I guess. Yeah, I know. Exactly. The overall, as a Spoopy Wise movie, it did have that 70s camp killer slasher vibe to it. Like we see in uh, Friday the 13th, like we see in Sleepaway Camp, those types of movies. I would give it a solid 25 out of 37 you didn't like have the fear of being chased by a bloodthirsty emotionless killer as a movie i thought it was better than the first one i like i said with the review of the first one i liked the first one a lot and then watching the second one i did like it even more and made me like the first one a little bit less but they were both still better than the third one so out of 37 i would give it a 29 out of 37 as an overall movie i would definitely recommend this more than the first one but you should still watch the first one otherwise you wouldn't feel as invested in this one yep i think you you both hit it like nail on the head perfectly um the gore was great the kills were great i mean yeah the fact that you know we didn't really get the first solid kill until 40 minutes in but still it i i loved it right and Again, you guys pointed out like my favorite thing. It's basically, you know, right out of like Friday Thirteenth, Sleepaway Camp, all those classic late seventies, early eighties uh, camp horror movies, and I love that so much. Especially the fact that Tommy with the sack on his head was very, you know, uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two, like that kind of that first iteration of Jason before so much. Oh yeah, so much, so great, and I love that. And that was that was probably one of my favorite things to it. I uh, I did enjoy the first one. I really enjoyed the story of this one more than the and uh, than the first one. More so that we got a whole lot more information about 
like Sarah Fear in general and and just seeing more the fact that like this whole shady side and Sunnyvale like feud, like how far go how far back it goes. Like, you know, that's this is almost nearly twenty years before uh the events of the the first movie. Oh, this is like an old Tommy feud, like Hatfields and McCoys. Like those two towns hate each other for like centuries. Yeah. And no one really, and really, like, no one knows why, because it's that old of a feud. Like, it's just like, I just know we hate them, and that's it. Yeah, it's like 300 years. Yeah. Like, shit gets lost in that amount of time. But, um, scope-wise... It's kind of like Mon and Chris's feud. We don't know why we hate each other, but it just goes back so deep and so far (laughs) that it just needs to continue. Yeah, it just needs to keep going. You son of a bitch. Um, Spoopy-wise, yeah, I'm going to give it a solid 22-23... The core was good. I was, I, I was, there was a lot of tense moments. Snapping the ankle probably would puts it more towards 23 because that still just skews me, grosses me out. Uh, as an overall movie, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it like a 30, 30, 31. I definitely recommend seeing it. Obviously, I also recommend seeing the first part just so you have some idea what's going on. And like, if you watch the first part and you were a little lost and kind of skeptical of the whole trilogy, definitely give this one a chance and, you know, see the rest, at least more of the story. I would say too, if you ignore all the, uh, the outside parts with like Dina and Josh and C Berman, it does work well as a standalone movie. You could, like I said, you could ignore all the backdrop of the ongoing plot thread that goes throughout the trilogy, but yeah, you could just enjoy it as a fun slasher movie by itself. Yeah, like that's if true. You, if you didn't want to watch the first one, you could just skip to the part where they're at the camp, watch it till the end of the camp, and then turn it off, and it's it's a good movie on its own. The other stuff just is there to add the connection between the two. But overall, it's it's on its own is a very good movie. Okay, it it it's a strong movie uh, on its own merit. Without like just the camp story itself is good enough for its own movie. But uh, with that. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for, uh, you know, giving this a listen. I know it is a little different. Um, I know we don't have all the guys here, so it's a little bit, you know, a different dynamic. But, I, I you know, I think it's going pretty well. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode along with the last episode. In the, uh, in the spirit of that, since we don't have everybody here, um, there was a nude clock. I forgot to mention earlier. Oh yeah, just give it a quick uh, just, new clock shout for, out just for Jarvis. Just for Jarvis. I did that just for Jarvis. 14 minutes and 4 seconds. It's a dude butt, but it's a nude butt. And that was I I wrote that down just for Jarvis in all caps too cuz I felt like I could hear him screaming it in his in his beautiful voice. Now what would Jarvis say about this nude dude butt? He'd probably just be like that's a dude butt. He's completely naked. My man has a hat on. That's it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that, with uh, our homage to Jarvis and some some nude booty, I'd like to thank Connor McLeod for the artwork he's done for the show. Love to thank Andy Cavanaugh for our intro and outro music. Love it. And uh, a shout out to Travis Kaiser. Does a lot of our editing and he's done a fantastic job with our episodes and he works hard and uh i don't think i don't think i can really show my appreciation anymore to him and i really appreciate that all their 
info, everything's going to be in the description of the podcast. So go ahead and check them out. Uh, you can also catch us on our Facebook, our Instagram. Uh, going to try and get a little bit more active with that. And uh, since I've been kind of doing Kyle's job with this, uh, Swayze, why don't you tell the people what they want to hear? Thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time. You sounded like the people at an auction and says, thousand for this one, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. So, for having a whole time. <laughs>